Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. From the Gert Boyle studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Jen Chavez. The Oregon Shakespeare Festival has put Ashland and Southern Oregon on the map of national theater destinations for decades. But like many big theater companies around the country, it suffered serious pandemic-related setbacks. This year, so far, has seen both a multi-million dollar emergency fundraising campaign and the departure of former artistic director Nataki Garrett. American theater editor-in-chief Rob Weinert-Kent says in many ways, Oregon Shakespeare Festival is unique in the country. He joins me now to talk more about some of the slings and arrows that OSF and other American theaters are facing. Rob, thank you and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jen. It's good to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So, Let's start off, first of all, what is unique about the Oregon Shakespeare Festival as a theater company and how people engage with Ashland as a theater destination as opposed to other places known for live theater? Yeah, it's unique on several levels, uh, and Shakespeare's probably the least of it. There's a lot of Shakespeare Mm. festivals all around the country, a lot of summer Shakespeare festivals. What's unique about Oregon Shakespeare Festival is the rural location. Uh, in southern Oregon, very far from any other major city. So you really have to go fly into Medford and drive there mm-hmm. or and book a trip to, to see theater. Uh, the other thing that, that's unique that, uh, you know, it's a, it would normally be a behind-the-scenes fact, but actually I think a lot of fans of, of the festival know this and love this about it, that it does things in repertory, which means that they run simultaneous shows, as many as six at a time, in various... Uh, configurations in the same theater. So a show will load out and another one goes in. And they have a resident company, um, which means they've got full-time actors employed throughout the year playing different roles in different shows. And this, again, is part of the experience of watching a show. You see one guy, a guy play King Lear in one show and, uh, you know, the carry the spear in the next. That, that's the cliche. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's unique in this country. There, there are a few uh, theaters that have resident companies where you might see the same actors over a period of time uh, if you really follow a company closely, but none none like this, and very few do repertory, which is a very expensive and labor-intensive way to produce theater, but it's it's kind of a magical thing. It's it's an it's an old practice that goes back to, I mean, Commedia dell'arte and the Royal Shakespeare Company, but Stratford, Ontario might be the only other one that does it on the scale that Oregon had done it on. So all those things make it a really special, special company. Yeah. And so it is called the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, but Shakespearean productions are not all the companies known for, right? What other types of theater work does OSF produce? Yeah, I once, Libby Apple, who was the artist director in the 90s, once told me that she would love to change the name because most of the audience didn't come from Oregon, even though it's based in Oregon. Um, Shakespeare wasn't what they mainly did, and they're not a festival. They did start as a festival, like a, a, a summer thing, and now it's, it was at its height, it was a year round. They have been known for almost as long as I'm aware of them, which is back to the 90s, uh, uh, for creating new plays, staging plays by living playwrights. Uh, they're definitely part of the national theater scene, both uh, staging great second productions of plays that have originated elsewhere, but also originating plays that go into in Pulitzer's, that has been a big part of its uh, of its uh, repertoire for a long time, and I, I feel like it it's been in dialogue with the Shakespeare and the classics that they've done, 
to have living writers work with them. Um, and that that's one of the things, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it. That's one of the things that I would, I would hate to see go, along with, of course, their wonderful Shakespeare repertory that they that they did in classical, not just Shakespeare, but other other classics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and okay, so live theater was my, one of many performing arts and events-based industries that took a major hit at the height of the pandemic. But for example, with an outdoor venue in the West, severe wildfire smoke pollution is increasingly an annual issue. What issues were affecting OSF prior to the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, there was a famous uh, incident where a beam in the Angus Bomer Theater broke and they had to do a, most of that season outdoors. But the, the wildfires were really the main one. Um, I, my last time I went, I went there was in 2015. I was and I saw Sweat, the Lynn Nottage play, which became one of the most produced plays uh, later that year and won a Pulitzer. Um, uh, and and I was there to see Head Over Heels outdoors, and I was sitting in the theater, and you could set your watch by when they would they would start a show, mm-hmm. and it was past eight thirty, and I'm like this, and then they came in and said we they couldn't go on because and so 2015 that wasn't the beginning, but that was when the wildfires started to become a regular occurrence that closed multiple shows and closed indoor shows as well, just because the air quality is so bad you can't even be shouldn't be out and about seeing anything, and the actors it wasn't safe for them, so that has that curtailed their season in ways that were often uh, unpredictable, predictable in the sense that they would have to budget for that because they knew there would be a fire season, basically, but unpredictable about when when it would happen. I think that had a that had a, a rolling, a knock-on effect because Oregon Shakespeare Festival is not the kind of place that you can go, oh, well, I'll just go next week. People travel there yeah. and they see, show, they see shows in bunches. And if this happened a lot during COVID when people would come to New York to see shows um, and other places as well, it's happened all throughout, especially the later part of the the Omicron and uh, shows closing. Um, you still hear about it occasionally, but people book their trip to New York or to in his Oregon, and they can't they can't rebook it. So I think that 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 ate away at at some of the audience over the years. Um, and then, of course, you know, COVID. Yeah, I mean, let's get to that. So pandemic yeah. shutdowns in their aftermath, of course, um, affected so many different performing arts mediums, but how would you say theater was uniquely affected as compared to, say, something like live music? Yeah, I mean, for for better, I, I say, I'm not going to even say for better words, for better, theater has very strong unions, uh, including equity, and equity protocols kept theaters closed, I think, longer than live music venues, rest, some restaurants in most places. Um, and you know, there was a Broadway season 20 to 21 to 22 um, with a lot of closures. And a lot of, it was a very bumpy season, but most resident theaters around the country really didn't produce a full season until 22, 23. And so that was the, that was Oregon Shakes first season back was 22 heading right out of Omicron. And again, a season that was very bumpy everywhere for folks, lots of closures, lots of sick outs, people not able to go on. Um, and this past season, we're just about to end. Most most theaters, as you probably know, run a fall to spring season. Mm-hmm. Oregon Shakes would run more like a spring to fall, uh, like like around the summer, like a, a calendar year. So their season starting in like February 2022, I think it was a, it was tough to get people to to come out and see, you know, come out and commit to multiple shows 
to travel there. Um, yeah, it was it was it was rough. And I think you know theaters all over the place have been having a tough time. You've probably seen headlines all across the country that Mark Taper Forum in Los Angeles canceled their next season. Uh, there's been layoffs and cutbacks all over the place. Uh, actually, it's starting to happen really this week as we speak. Yeah. Um, so a big part of this year's shakeup at OSF in particular was the departure of former artistic director Nataki Garrett last month. And she have received a lot of praise and also a lot of criticism during her first few years or during her few years with the company. What yeah. is your assessment of her tenure there? Well, I talked to her when she came in. I talked to her a few times since then and followed followed from a distance. I haven't been able to go back to see the work on stage. So I can't comment on what actually made it on stage. And I would also, my feeling is, you know, she started in 2019. She, uh, she was hired then, and then she really came in 2020, and this, the season didn't really ever get started. And she didn't pick that season. She, she really only had one season to prove herself, and that was the, 20, the 2022 season. And she picked up, I, looking on paper, it looked like a solid season, a couple Shakespeare's, a mix of some other new plays, some familiars uh, plays, a, a musical. Um, it was eight show season down from, I think, 11 bef before the pandemic. Um, she told me that she would actually prefer to run fewer shows just because of the, the uncertainty about the audience. But there's a bit of a catch-22. If you if you run sure, fewer shows, you sell fewer tickets and you have less revenue. So, <laughs> And then, of course, if you don't have the audiences, then those that, that those extra shows don't fill up and it's actually it's a bit of a, a again, catch 22. Um, so she had one season to prove herself. She picked the season that is up now, including directing Roman Juliet and Rent. Um, but she's gone. Um, it, it seems clear that there was audience did not come on board for her for her vision. But again, I would say she only had one one season to show them what she could do. And I, I don't think that's enough time. When a new artist director comes in a company of any of any company, there's going to be some attrition. There's going to be some turnover. There's going to be some conflict. Uh, this happens in every artistic director turnover I've I've, I've covered, including her predecessor. Um, I think the 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 drama around that uh, was never allowed to. I, she never got the audience for her vision, basically, because I think. There's certain audience rejected it, and also they didn't come because of COVID. So she, that that last season was 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 pretty bleak in terms of box office from what I've from what I've seen, and uh, you know I just think it was really rough a rough time. I, I don't I don't it, and given also the tenor of the language that was used against her by some folks, not all of them. Some of them just sincerely didn't like the programming. Others really took it to another level, and they pretended as if. Uh, the diversity that she that she was advocating and the new play she was doing was not the policy before it was all i mean it's long as i've gone to oregon shakespeare festival it's been one of the more diverse interesting uh it dated challenging programming going back to the 90s so it, it's not a new thing i just don't think she was given a chance yeah yeah and I, you know speaking of what you are talking about some of the criticism she received, we got a few emails from our listeners about the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Um, and John DeCamp wrote us and said, 
OSF has ignored the tastes of its primary customer demographic. When you don't give your customers what they want, you lose them. It's commendable that OSF features other plays and playwrights, and this should continue, but the vast majority of the people who come faithfully to Ashland each year come for the Shakespeare plays. And then he went on to say, experimentation is necessary. No actor wants to keep doing the same thing time after time. But this need for variety is a constant dance with the audience. And you can only get so far out in front of your audience before you lose them. So, yeah, I mean, this is a criticism that has come up a lot, especially in the past few years. And like you said earlier, OSF has been producing contemporary work for many years. So has... Has the mix really changed that much from what it was before? I mean, it's that that's a fair criticism, and you put it very in a very reasonable way. That's not the way I've seen all the criticism of of her tenure worded. And I, I would say, you know, in speaking to the artist directors and looking at the work over the years, what I heard was that yes, the Shakespeare was in many ways the core menu offering. Uh, like if people go to a steakhouse, they want to get the steak. So pe- people often people who first time folks and young folks would go and see what the Shakespeare was. But I would also say that a lot of the audiences were from the Bay Area and Seattle and Oliver, Oregon as well. And they were often educated um, seasoned theater goers who who they might want to see the, the latest production of King Lear. They want to see it again and again and compare notes to the past one. But they were interested in new plays. I really think that. I think people take for granted that sometimes older audiences are the more adventurous ones because they've seen a lot of plays already and they're the ones who want to, they might have limits. They might think, well, that's a bridge too far. I've I've seen too many plays like that or whatever, whatever that means. Um, But I would say that in my experience, uh, it's often some of the older folks uh, and and, and more seasoned theater goers, like the the loyal, the loyal ones, the ones that I think this person is talking about who want to be challenged. They want to see a new take on an old classic. They want to see a brand new play. Um, yeah, it's possible you can move too far. I think it, there is a dance. That's a good word for it. There's a, uh, 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 I, I've heard Tony Ciccone, he runs Berkeley Rep. I, I, I think he put it this way, and I, I hope I'm not misquoting him, that I think he and his audience learned together. He taught his audience to watch plays a certain way, and they taught him what they would, what they would, what they would tolerate or what, or what they, how far they would go. So I think there is a dance. And I just, I think it's a tragedy that Nataki was not given a chance to take a few more steps in that dance because she really that season barely got a chance to get off the ground and her vision didn't get a chance at least that's how it looks from from across the country i didn't see the work on the stage so i can't i can't uh i can't give my actual critical assessment of the work but um that that's what that's how i respond to that again it's it's all it's all valid it's true it's theater by its nature is new every night but it's also an old art form and it's also you know, it's something where we're always being informed by the past, but we're moving into the present and the future. So, yeah, um, you know, and I just want to acknowledge kind of something you were saying about, you know, the tone of some of this criticism, because like Garrett did also deal with some serious racism, um, including multiple threats of violence, which included death threats. Um, do you think that race could have played a role in some of the pushback she received at OSF? Yeah, I've been talking around that, but yes, that's absolutely a big part of it. I think her predecessor, Bill Rausch, who, full disclosure, is a friend of mine, and I, I, I've loved his work since before he was at Oregon Shakespeare Festival. He was programming very diversely, but by the time he left, the company was majority uh, people of color, the, the acting company. 
And he didn't get pushed back. And I think that's because he was a white man. I mean, I'm just going to say it right out. Uh, mm. And I think, um, you know, Nataki programmed seasons that were very comparable. Again, it might, have, might, might not have been exactly the right mix. And again, it was a really bad time to be putting up shows and asking people to come out and pay for them. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, racism was absolutely a part of the picture of racism and sexism. She's a black woman. So, um, yeah. uh, misogynoir is, as I think it's called. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, that was definitely a factor. I, is that the only factor? I mean, I think, again, I think every artist director faces criticism and a lot of it fair and they have to be ready for that. I think the board who hires an artist director should also be ready for the criticism and ready to support that artist director through the, the, the slings and arrows, I think is the phrase you used. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because it, it really is, you know, you're 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 the figurehead, the face of the theater and the face of the programming. And, you know, it's clear that some people didn't like that face. Yeah, you know, so. yeah, thank you. Thank you for reflecting on that. Um, so, you know, as, as I mentioned, this theater has also been engaged in like a multi-million dollar emergency fundraising campaign. There's been yeah. all of these challenges um, of the pandemic staff shape up, um, shake up. And I, I'm wondering just as an outside ad observer, what your outlook on OSF's future is. Do you see them returning to their former glory in the years ahead? That's a really tough question, especially at a time when, when the field in general is facing severe contraction in a lot of areas. There are some theaters that are that are doing better than others, but it, it's it's a rough time for them. I would say Oregon Shakespeare Festival is such a, I hate to use the word brand, but I think it's appropriate in this, in this case. It's such a strong theatrical brand that I can't imagine the people who care about it and love it will let it die. And that includes the board, artists, uh, audiences, um, and I don't know what form it will take. It's possible that they really will have to do more Shakespeare and more traditional fare for a while. Or the, the other thing they might have to do is do less, fewer new plays, which would be, I think, a tragic. Um, they might have to produce in a way that's not repertory, which is very expensive, and not hire a resident company to be there year round, also very expensive. That would be if it comes back to that, no matter the quantity of the shows, if they can do a repertory season in the summer, uh, outdoors, include some Shakespeare, include some some other wild new stuff, I think it'll be on the road back to its glory. It, it does seem like it's going to be a hard road between now and there, though. Well, Rob, thank you so much for joining us today and talking us through this. Thank you so much, Jen. Thanks for having me. I've been speaking today with Rob Weinert-Kent, the editor-in-chief of American Theatre.